Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. This is your host, Scott Cantrell, uh, joined by a gentleman that I am truly privileged and honored to be able to interview today. I've had the, the privilege of knowing John for a number of months because we're both involved with a, a group that we're, we participate in. And just recently, uh, at the end of 2021, um, I got to hear him speak and present on a, an incredible topic that he is now a specialized thought leader in. And it was incredibly eye-opening for me. And as soon as I heard him speak, I knew that some somehow, some sometime in the future, I had to have him on uh, consulting with authority if he would be willing. And he has been gracious enough uh, to carve out some time and be here. Um, John Blumberg is a national author, speaker, and thought leader on the subject of integrity. John, thank you so much for being here. Scott, so good to be here with you. I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, same here. Absolutely. I've got my pen and paper ready to go. So, uh, John, I know that you you didn't start out on this, what, what seems from an outsider looking in, you didn't start focused on this narrow slice, this narrow concept, so to speak, of integrity uh, at the beginning of your career. This is not, you, di you didn't grow, you know, you didn't start out growing up, uh, wanting to grow up to be an expert on integrity. So kind of give us just a general overview of the trajectory of your career and, and what led you to that point. Yeah. So I think um, what's probably most shocking in, in what I do today is I actually majored in accounting, which maybe is where the uh, integrity comes from. I don't know. Sure, it could be. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but that was my major, which has served me well, certainly as an entrepreneur and a business owner. Uh, but I was with Arthur Anderson for 18 years. I actually was in audit the first five years I was with the firm and then shifted my focus from numbers to people and spent the remaining 13 years at Anderson. Uh, uh, working in the HR area, but in, eventually into recruiting and eventually went into role to help direct our recruiting worldwide, which is how I got to Chicago. Um, in those years, though, Scott, what I would say is I became where maybe in my uh, studies uh, in an accounting, I was a student of the numbers. Uh, but when I shifted over, I really did become a student of the human condition in a high-performing culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's where I was grounded. But when I went into a firm-wide role to help direct our recruiting around the world, I just got a chance to speak a lot. And somewhere in there, uh, I thought, I really love the speaking thing. And so... To be very direct on this, I I decided to give up my career at Anderson, uh, be, and really because I love the speaking and I thought I can talk on leadership and that's so I left behind my career five years before Arthur Anderson is one of the greatest consulting firms in the world imploded. Right, uh, I. I went off and uh, started this career in speaking. And it, again, it was on general leadership. And in fact, it may have been the implosion of Arthur Anderson, which um, the heartbreak thing now is that some people say I've never heard of it before, mm -hmm. but it was the gold standard in the consulting world of a firm that took 90 years to build and literally six weeks to implode. Wow. And it, it happened to uh, be around the Enron uh, scandal. Right. Uh, it's a complicated story, but it probably changed everything for me because I love the firm. It was an incredible culture. Uh, and what I would say is that it really, something struck within me to say, this isn't about Arthur Anderson or Enron. It's about all of us. And I didn't know what that was, 
but it really uh, caught my attention. And so I started shifting my focus more into core values and then eventually laser focused into um, integrity. And over the four books that I've written, I can almost, looking back, not when I was doing it all, but looking back, I could almost see the seeds that were evolving within me uh, over that course of time to come to this laser focus on integrity. Sure, sure. Well, I remember um, last November when I had the honor of hearing you speak and share that information you know, just a short presentation, but even in just a few minutes, my brain was was just uh, overflowing with this different way of thinking about integrity and and how it's not just an abstract idea and it means it means more and has a more pervasive influence on our lives than than we ever think. And and I want to dive into that in just a second. But tell us a little bit about the nature of the work that you do now uh, with your consulting practice and your firm. Who do you serve? Who do you focus on helping? And and what types of engagements? How do you help them is really what I'm asking. Yeah. So I I still have stayed very focused primarily in the professional services area. I've done some in healthcare. Uh, Alaska Airlines has been a a big client uh, in my journey. Uh, But I, I grew up in the professional services firm uh, and so a lot of my focus has been there uh, because of the nature of integrity. I do spend a lot of time focused in the C-suite mm-hmm. uh, it, with the leadership. Uh, but the truth is integrity can show up anywhere at any time in any one. Sure. And, and, but those are the arenas I generally um, uh, speak in. And it really is around uh, solely this idea of getting leaders to completely see integrity reimagine it, rediscover it in a completely new way, because I think we make a huge assumption there. And oftentimes what we do is we turn it into a compliance exercise. And uh, so, and, and that's very common in, in I think, most organizations. Uh, and what I've often said is, uh, and compliance always has its place. Uh, but what I do believe is the billions of dollars that are spent on compliance and rules is is because we haven't valued integrity to begin with at the very root level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that's generally the arena that I operate in, although it's one of those where the topic is applicable to any organization or anyone, sure. uh, but it's a matter of where your outreach is. The in-reach, sometimes um, there are bits and pieces that come in where, um, you know, I'll, I'll address those. But my focus mainly in outreach um, has been, you know, in the executive suite. Um, and I, I have right now I'm coaching two public company CEOs. And again, it's always around this topic. Um, and then, you know, I also have groups that uh, the public can sign up to participate in what I call the circle of integrity. So that's kind of the, the breadth of, of the way the, the, the information goes out. You know, when I started, Scott, I was all about being a speaker. Sure. And somewhere along the way, I figured out, no, I'm not a speaker. I'm a messenger. And that message mm-hmm. can come out in books or presentations or coaching. Uh, so it kind of uh, filters out in different channels. You know, that's a fantastic note and just a really important reframing, I think, certainly for me to hear, but but I think for everybody who's listening and watching who may, you know, depending on what label, right, we put in ourselves, whether it's speaker or coach or consultant, the reality is so many of us do all of those things in some capacity. We may call it slightly different things or think of coaching as, you know, but the reality is, yes, at the end of the day, for 
for us in this world of where we have a skill, knowledge, or expertise, or service, and we're trying to impact, in most cases, the lives of another organization or an individual within a within a business. Uh, at the end of the day, we are just transferring information. We're, we're we are a messenger at the core of of who we are, and so it's a really important note and one that that I'm making note of here because I need to. It's just a great note for me because I don't need to necessarily lock myself into this world of, of business development consultant. At the end of the day, I'm sharing a message around how organizations and businesses can can grow more effectively and more efficiently. So that's probably a very valuable note for everybody who's listening. You know, for me too, Scott, one of the things uh, when I went into speaking, I saw a lot of speakers who were writing books. Uh, right. And I think a lot of times because they felt like they had to. <laughs> sure. Uh, and, and frankly, some of the products look like they wrote them because they felt like they had to. <laughs> they weren't that great. I've read um, some of those books too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was adamant that I was not going to write a book. I mean, I literally really? said, I'm a speaker uh, and not a writer, that my gift was, you know, speaking the oral oral word. Yeah. And, and that's probably where I realized, and it was right after Arthur Anderson imploded, uh, mm-hmm. a good friend said, your time has come to write. And that's really really where I woke up to the idea, you're not a speaker, that's a vehicle. Um, You're a messenger. And that's where, you know, the the writing started. Yeah, that's fantastic. That makes that makes so much sense. And it it is important. I think it is important, too, for all of all of us, right, Uh, people listening, watching and, and us to realize that at the end of the day, if what we truly want, and I think it is true for for most people in our in our space, in our consulting space, if we truly want to improve the condition of the people that we serve, right, truly bring value to them in a meaningful way, then the question is is not how do I do that through speaking or how do I do that through writing this narrow channel. The question is how I do that. What channels could I use, right, that will be the most effective for the people that I serve? And it it may be speaking, it may be writing, it may be consulting or coaching, it may be all of the above. And so being open to that, I think, is is really valuable. So that's 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 a great, again, just a great note uh, to remind us all that we are messenger first. So let's dive into some of your work on integrity, because, again, um, I still go back and I've, I've looked at my notes from from the session that you did in November multiple times and and have found myself uh, found myself quoting you sometimes paraphrased, uh, but but have found myself quoting, you know, what I learned from that session. I think one of the things that that struck me the most from the presentation was how you define integrity or maybe how you don't define integrity. So maybe you can speak to that. And, you know, I. I remember, and, and I'm just going to be completely transparent with you, John. I remember when um, you were being introduced for that session, and and it was basically, you know, John's going to speak on integrity. And I'm like, well, isn't integrity just, you know, a sentence or two definition? I mean, isn't that isn't that kind of the end, you know, beginning and end of it? I mean, don't you either have integrity or not? I mean, like, I, I really couldn't. I was like, what are we going to hear about? And I already knew you a little bit. And so I knew it was going to be gold. And so I was ready to take notes. So I was like, what could he possibly talk about? And then you spent the next few minutes just blowing my mind. So let's just kind of start with, with how you think about integrity and how you define it, or again, don't define it. Yeah. And I think, um, the way that w- what was going through your mind, and thanks for the transparency, because that's integrity. Uh, <laughs> but um, what I do find the conventional wisdom is, and I, I 
over and over continue to see this happen. You know, if we were playing Family Feud and the question was, what is the one word people most often use yeah. uh, when to define integrity? That word would be honesty, which right. is totally understandable. Yeah. Or what's the one phrase that people would use? Uh, and the one phrase most often is what you do when no one is watching. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I would suggest that those are not definitions of integrity, that those are lagging indicators of integrity. In fact, uh -huh. one thing I've said before is uh, what integrity is not defined by what you do and no one is watching what you do and no one is watching is defined by your integrity. Wow. And it's a flip of the words, but it changes everything. So yeah. um, 15 years ago, when I really focused solely on integrity, when I was beginning to say, this is where all of my energy needs to go, uh, there were three words that I found were the best words to define integrity in, in the most um, comprehensive way. And those words were whole, entire, and undiminished. And if you really think about it, it sounds like integrated, like connection, uh, not only connected internally, but connected collectively to anyone and anything. So I like to come at it from an idea that it's far more about connection in connection, what flows out of that um, can be honesty, um, although that can get to be a complicated uh, question within itself. Uh, is there times where you're being honest where it lacks integrity? In fact, I, mm. I put a thought for the day out one time that said, when you are um, when you are claiming to be honest, but you are creating disconnection. Um, is that really dishonest? And so it's a it's a complicated thing that spins your head around a bit. But I really am trying to tease apart those two concepts because they're so interrelated, almost in a trite or cl uh, a cliche kind of fashion. Sure. Sure. Um, and so I like to look at it in a much richer and deeper way. And in some ways, what I'd say, Scott, is it, it really does take some unlearning of what we've assumed about integrity to reimagine it and rediscover it. Yeah, uh, that is that is excellent. And, and again, um, I was I was part of that majority that you're talking about. Right. In terms of how I thought about it and. Uh, I just hadn't considered this idea that I hadn't considered flipping the words around like you just described, right? It just made sense to me. Oh yeah, what you do and no one's watching. Yeah, okay, who, who are you really? But what you're suggesting is, is that your integrity is what determines your behavior. Your behavior is not in, determined by, uh, your behavior is determined by your integrity. Um, and so integrity is the core. Integrity is where it begins. And then what you do while no one's watching is, is created by that honesty as a, as a byproduct, as a, as a lagging indicator, which I think is so true. Yeah, it, it, it's where everything flows from. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing, too, uh, going back to what you had initially said, uh, uh, one thing that I find is people look and think of integrity almost like an object, like something you have. I have integrity. Uh, or we 
arrogantly judge other people like this person has it and this person doesn't. And what I would suggest is uh, that when it comes to integrity, it's a state of being. And the truth is all of us on any given moment, on any given day, in any given relationship or conversation or decision are in some degree of integrity, which is much more complicated in the sense that it always um, begs for your awareness and attention, yeah. that it's not something you just have and it's always in play. And that it, it makes it more complicated, but in some way it makes it far more adventurous as well. Well, sure, sure. And, and I think by, by, cre- by, by making that statement, it, it allows us to be human beings as opposed to uh, human beings that are capable of mistakes and capable of grace and capable of mercy and capable of forgiveness, as opposed to uh, and and capable of changing our minds about something, uh, as opposed to the expectation that is that says you either are or you are not. You either have or you do not have integrity. And it's like to your point, it, it's not so simple. In fact, that brings me to to one thing that I remember from your presentation. Um, and one thing that absolutely did strike me, and this was this idea of what you referred to as drift mm-hmm. uh, related to integrity. So maybe you can speak a little bit to, to that. Yeah. You know, what's crazy about that is I literally remember when I wrote these couple of sentences down, I was sitting at a Starbucks in Naperville, Illinois, although I thought authors went to mountain chalets to write. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I, if they hadn't remodeled a Starbucks, I could take you to the table. I was writing it. Uh, but but I wrote it down and it simply said this, that we don't go running away from our values. We go drifting away. And one day we wake up mm. in a place that we never meant to be drifting in a direction we never would have chosen. And the the truth is that when I wrote that, although I do remember where I was when I wrote it, um, which probably ought to tell me something, but I didn't think that much about it. I was just mm. writing. It was just, I always say as to an author, don't edit um, as you type or write, just let it flow out. So I really hadn't paid a lot of attention. And it was only when I started giving keynotes on the content, um, and then when the books went out, almost 95% of the people, when they write about it or come up at the end of a presentation, they'll, they literally walk up and say, it's the drift. And I should have known from my own life experience, but I think that's why people resonate because the truth is we've all drifted and maybe even more importantly, we will all drift again. Um, because as you so named it, we're all human. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that drift is such a teacher to mm-hmm. hone our integrity that the drift is, yeah, it can be a problem, especially if you don't catch it. Uh, um, but it also is such a gift because it allows for teachable moments. And it's a real important element of um, really a deeper understanding of integrity. Um. I remember when you uh, talked about that on the presentation, and I think I think we, you know, the audience was probably on mute, but I think I remember saying out loud, "Wow, that's me," <laughs> um, and or you know, that has been me. And yeah. and and to your point that you made earlier, at any given moment in any given scenario, we are in a state of integrity, right? Where we are in the spectrum may vary depending on the scenario and situation, I suppose. From this point of view of drift and moving away, I think I got the quote close. 
we go drifting away from our core values, drifting in a direction we never would have chosen. Um, as that drift happens, it's it's one of those gradual things like the frog in the boiling pot of water, I suppose. And we may, may not notice it at the beginning, but at some point we get so far away from who we are supposed to be, who we know we can be. And we realize, you know, I'm, I'm quite a bit of distance from that shoreline um, and it's time for me to get back there. What, what types of, let me just ask the question this way. How can one observe or notice that they're drifting sooner so they don't get so far away from the shoreline and they can course correct in, in more real time or, or faster and easier? Any thoughts or, or ideas on that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think that's where the work comes in is being able to dig uh, to our core, to our core values, uh, which also is another area that I think we misinterpret or we misunderstand. Uh, in fact, oftentimes what I find is people will think of their core values through the lens of what do I value? And mm -hmm. um, that's very different. That's not a bad um that's not a bad perspective on being paying attention to what you value, but those are not your core values. Mm -hmm. And in, in fact, the other way I've hit on integrity, which is contra, I think, to many individuals list of core values and also yeah. certainly many organizations uh, is that integrity is not a core value, which surprises a lot of people. Uh, and what I say is it's the fabric of every value. It, again, it's the integrator to what we name as our values. But if if you do the work and digging to your core, and I, I frame it out through your digging through behaviors and wants and needs and opinions and beliefs, which are all things we value, um, <clears throat> but digging really to the core, once that core is realized, and that's not a that's not a pick your fa five favorite off a list of 30 or take right. an algorithm that spits it out for you. That's a wrestling match and yeah. probably yeah. over at least a year. Of you know, you work on a little bit, put it away, work on a little bit, put it away. But eventually, um, I think that eventually begins to become more and more clear, especially when you start to separate out behaviors, wants, needs, opinions, and beliefs, which are really hard to move out of that core value bucket. But once you do and you get real core clarity on what are your core values, um, then I believe what happens is you keep anchoring back to that. And when you continue to anchor to it, and I mean this literally every day, um, what you'll find is you're still going to drift, but you're going to see it much sooner. And again, the, the drift isn't the problem. It's the lack of noticing the mm. drift. And, and you so aptly name, uh, you know, you, the shoreline keeps getting further and further away. What's really dangerous is when you can no longer see the, the shoreline and now you have no idea how far you're drifting. It's, right. it's, you've lost perspective at that point. Wow. Um, no, that's, uh, I was just using the metaphor because it made sense, but, but <laughs> uh, yeah, though, it's, it sounds like it, it, it works beautifully in that example. I hadn't considered, of, I can't considered losing sight of the land. Um, mm. But certainly, um, even at times, moments, you know, di very difficult, traumatic, tragic experiences in my own life. I, I, you know, at least for some period of time. Now, fortunately, I had people around me to say, it's over there, right? It's that, it's that way uh, in terms of where the land is. But I, I felt that way. And I guess, I guess anybody that, that lives long enough, 
um, has the privilege of living long enough is going to have those types of experiences. Um, I and that, and I, I suspect that they can be catalyzed or triggered in a lot of ways, not necessarily through a negative experience. They could possibly be triggered through a, a euphoric or, or very positive experience where you, you suddenly lose touch. If things are going so well that you lose touch with, with that core, you, you, you pull the anchor up. Um, yeah, in fact, Scott, you name a really good thing there that um, because I think a lot of times people think a drift can be uh, through very negative things. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, I've seen some of the greatest drifts in the midst of great success. Mm, uh, fascinating. And, and one thing I always suggest people is you need to have people in your life, uh, just as you were saying, point you there is what I would say they're drift catchers and you <laughs> give them permission to, you know, to bring you back. Uh, yeah. You just say, if you see me drifting, uh, call me out. And uh, they can be incredibly, they have to be people that love you enough to tell you the truth and you love them enough to accept the truth when you hate what they're telling you. Uh, right. But very often it is in the midst of great success Um and think about this for a second with um, athlete, professional athletes mm-hmm. or, or singers, artists, uh, uh, or politicians where you have people in the inner circle and the inner circle quits being drift catchers because they're afraid to say the truth yeah. um, because they're afraid they're going to get kicked out of the inner circle, which is why sometimes very successful ple- uh, people, it's so heartbreaking uh, because they don't have anybody right. that can really be a drift guard um, or a drift catcher for them. Gosh, that is so true. I hadn't even considered that aspect of it. But those, I mean, talk about, you know, a laundry list of examples um, that that you could point to that that are publicly available examples. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and we, I think, you know, we see I, what's interesting about this is, as you describe this, and as I think through my own experience, you know, professional, personal, as I think through news headlines uh, and what happens within the world, uh, you use the word integrated, integrity by its sheer, you know, nature of the word is in- integrated. I start to start to see, again, I'm using your metaphors, but they're, they're very spot on. I see integrity being woven throughout, throughout the, the fabric of society. And you can point to something and say, you know, I don't know everything that happened, but clearly that individual or that organization or that group of people or whatever it may be, they were at drift in order for that to happen. Because, you know, I know who they, I know if it's someone that you're intimately familiar with in some way, or you know them, they're a loved one. I know who they are. I know what their core is. Mm -hmm. And so I know that what happened or that experience or that action they took or that inaction that they didn't take, I know that was because of drift, not because of who they are at their core. Um, And I would say this too, Scott, because um, I do think you point out <clears throat> you, when we know somebody, we can see the drip because we know the core, we know the person. What I would suggest is whenever you see uh, a downfall, a tragedy, you know, whether it's a politician, whether it's a corporate leader, whether it's a pastor, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, um, you can always know that they've drifted because I, I'm a big believer. Now I'm, I'm an optimist, but I'm a big believer that everyone at their core is good. The mm-hmm. core is there. Um, now the question is, have they defined it? And even if they've defined it, then have they drifted? But we can almost know that there was a drift in play because we all, I think we're all wired with that, with that goodness. Uh, the question is, have we been in touch with it? Have we discovered it? Yeah. Um, and then have we gotten distracted in the drift along the way? Yeah. 
I, 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 I completely agree uh, with your optimism. Um, uh, I think it's the right, I think it's the right perspective. Um, I think it's the truth, but even if we can't know it's the truth, I think it's the right perspective to have. Um, and that, that idea of forgiveness and mercy and grace and, and just this nature of this, this fallible being called a human, a human being, we just have to accept that and accept the fact that we're fallible. We can make mistakes and also accept and know that we can course correct. That That's we can exactly. that we can come back to that core. So, to, uh, are you going to say yeah. something? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say uh, yeah. that's that's so true. L- let's also say this: uh, in the midst of my optimism, <laughs> every now and then it has a cloudy day. Oh, sure, I'll sure. Say, Fair enough. <laughs> and then I'll say, uh, "Okay, there's the exception. <laughs> there's nothing good than that person, right?" No, I, no, uh, right. And, which and is my own think, drift. <laughs> we can all think of you know people throughout history that that you know can be labeled safely as 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 being the exception to that rule. Um, so uh, in terms of in so once the drift is noticed, I'm sort of thinking through this in a in a procedural way. Once that drift is noticed, um, I guess that may be the most important uh, that awareness may be the most important step in terms of getting to use the metaphor, getting back to the shoreline. But what are some of the steps? You know, I I can imagine that there are people listening or watching this and they're saying, you know, I thought my life was going to be this way, or I thought I would be able to do this with my business. And because of the tyranny of the urgent or because of my financial situation, I've had to make decisions or I felt like I've had to make decisions or choices that have caused me to move away from the core of who I feel like I'm meant to be. And maybe they're coming to that awareness or maybe they've had that awareness for a while, but they don't know what to do. They feel stuck. You know, they they can see the shoreline. They know they're drifting further away, but the oars are, you know, the oars are, you know, have floated away long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some ways mentally, emotionally, physically, behaviorally that someone can, can get back to, to the core of who they are? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go back to the idea of digging to your core and knowing the core and then mm-hmm. daily coming back to check the core. I mean, think in organizations, how much we measure today uh, measurements and um, and they do that on a regular basis. Now, that can also be a problem and put pressure on values. But sure. um, but the question is, are we connecting back to it? So as we're moving along. Um, we're catching the drift sooner. But let's just say in in all the very valid things that you mentioned there of the of the pressures, the human pressures that we face, either in a relationship uh, or in a financial situation or trying to figure out our business or right. let's take the pandemic. I mean, that sure. you know, yeah. it's been a horrific kind of situation for some business owners um, is that wherever you are, you can always re-anchor. Mm-hmm. And, and the worse it is, I'm, I, I assume that there are times where we need to think out loud with somebody else that we trust yeah. and have conversations about that. Um, but I would also say this, that we oftentimes think things are always supposed to work out there that, that if, if we're in a, we're always supposed to be successful. Yeah. Oftentimes we are where we're supposed to be even in the drift. Mm. Um, and that where we are has the greatest opportunity to help us see even deeper. Um, the problem with everything blowing and going, and I've, 
I've actually said during this pandemic, and let me just say this, because I realize that there has been great tragedy and great loss um, through this ex- through this experience. Um, but I would also say that this pandemic is when when I think in terms of integrity and digging deeper to your core, this is uh, I would say holy ground mm-hmm. uh, that it rips away the veneer. So we can see things in a way uh, that are more honest, they're more clear, they're more truthful. Oftentimes when you're in a drift, the truth also is, it's that whole adage of uh, when you hit rock bottom. Yeah. When you hit rock bottom, I can begin to climb again. I've actually got a foundation uh, to begin. Um, Now, I would prefer that it be... um, tweaks along the way sure, uh, that being at the bottom of the well, you know, of the, you know, at that dark moment, yeah. um, but wherever you are, there's always the possibility um, to begin the correction. Uh, and it may take grace and it may take empathy, uh, but that um, I think the truth is no matter where you are, there's always the opportunity to reset, to mm-hmm. reconnect, to reintegrate to that integrity. That's, that's excellent. Um, and I love what you said about there's opportunity in the drift, um, you know, uh, because uh, that really goes back to, you know, the the ancient saying, the ob- the obstacle is the way. Right. Um, and so it's within our within our problem or challenges or obstacles that we find the way back to where we're supposed to go. But save for having that experience, save for the drift, save for the obstacle, we would not have been able to get to where we were ultimately supposed to go in the first place. And I think it's a not only is it, of course, reaffirming uh, that we can get back to where we need to go and maybe we had to be where we are in order to, to get there in the first place. But I think it's also just a uh, often just a an axiom and a truth of life that um we're not gonna we're not gonna go from point you know point b is where we imagine we want to be um and point a is where we are that that probably can't be or shouldn't be or is not advantageous for it to be a straight line yeah um, I, I would agree with that and in many ways i'd say scott that um uh we like to have integrity and values be like this clean, um, Mm -hmm. uh, pure, um, well, that's the veneer, right? Uh, the truth is it's messy and it's a wrestling match and it's, uh, it's beautifully messy. Uh, and I think if we embrace that, we've got a much greater opportunity to understand it in ways we've never understood it before. And the truth is when you really look at doing this yourself, Mm-hmm. You are in such a better position to not judge others, to have empathy for them, because you you have more truthfulness about your own way of coming at this. And therefore, when others are drifting or struggling, uh, you're not judging, you're helping. Uh, yeah. And there's a big yeah. difference in that. Well, and I would imagine that so much of the work that the folks who are listening and watching this do is... Whether they've thought about it in this way or not, I don't know. But I would imagine that so much of the work that they do at its core is helping organizations or individuals uh, be pointed back in the right direction and re-anchor and get closer back to the shoreline. Even if even if it's somebody like me who's on the business development side of things, you may say, well, what does, what does marketing and sales have to do with core values and drifting away from what an organization wants and needs to be? Well, I think if you just peel back one layer of that 
that onion to, to continue the mixed metaphors here uh, to peel back one layer of the onion, I think it has everything to do with it, right? How you're pre, you know, what is your value proposition? What are you trying to deliver to the marketplace? What results and outcomes can you help an organization create or can you help an individual create? Um, and the more anchored those things are, um, I, I, it seems to me that the easier the messaging, the, the easier it is to be a messenger and the more authentic and genuine that message becomes. And to that end, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, what have you seen in terms of in your own life and in the work with your the organizational clients or the individuals that you've worked with on this topic? Um, I can imagine what some of these things might be, uh, but I'll have you maybe share some of these and feel free to share an example that, that you'd like to, but in terms of results or outcomes, as someone gets more clarity, not, not to say we're, we're going to be perfect, but when they get more clarity about what integrity means for them, they know what their core is. They get anchored to it and they can notice that drift mm-hmm. quicker and they can take action quicker to re-anchor. Um, what are some natural uh, results or outcomes, either on a personal level or professional level that, that you've seen? Yeah. So let's start with personal, which is where I always start. One of the great pushbacks I get in organizations is what does personal values have to do inside an organization? Isn't it about our organizational values? And frankly, most are terrified of personal values. And the reason is because they're confused about core values versus the behaviors, opinions, beliefs, needs, and wants. They're they're conflating the two, right? Exactly. Um, But what I've said is personal values. Well, somebody will say, well, are personal values personal? And I said, yes, but they're also incredibly systemic. Uh, In other words, it doesn't matter whether you think that personal values belong in the workplace. They they come through your door every single day, whether and and that's true, whether the person knows what they are or not. Um, So why don't we why don't we gain the potential of what they are when they're discovered? Mm. Um, and the truth is, it, with a leadership team in an organization, it's almost irresponsible to name the values of the organization without having done your own homework to begin with, because you're almost trying to name the values of an organization without an anchor yourself. Mm. And so um, what I would say is this, um, um With so much measurement and so many metrics, um, I think this is one area where um, there's not a tangible measurement. There is an intuitive measurement and and leaders that really have dug to their core, they don't have to have a, a mechanical measurement to let them know what intuitively has become so clear to them. Right. I think that's also true at the individual level. You intuitively okay. begin to know, am I drifting? Am I not drifting? Uh, you just have so much awareness about it that, may, that it can make a, a huge difference in that regard. One of the great risks on this is um, we've become so um, focused on if it, in fact, many have written, if it's, if it's important, it's measurable, or we measure what we believe is important. Right. What if the most important things aren't mechanically measurable? Hmm. Uh, and I think that's a bit of, you know, what this yeah. is. Um, I think the other thing for me, Scott, is this is hard. And so when you have a leader trying to do this, 
um, it is hard work. It takes a, uh, an enormously courageous leader to stay the course because what mm. we want to do in business is we want to, okay, we've got the plan. We got it done. We're good to go, right? This one isn't a good to go. It's always yeah. going, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think you have an intuitive nature to it. Um at an individual level, it keeps coming back every day. You just kind of check where you are on it and how am I doing with it? Um, and what can I learn from it um, along the way, which is probably the best measurement um, that you can have to keep it on course, I guess. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's tremendous. That's absolutely. I, I hadn't thought about, again, I'm in the business development space. So when it comes to exactly what you said, when I'm working with an individual organization, understandably and rightfully, we're measuring certain key uh, KPIs, key performance indicators. Um, and that's what we're looking at. Um, certainly, there's a, a there is a intangible component of that, how someone feels about a, a message or how someone feels about a campaign, a whole lot of psychology, of course, in marketing and sales um, that hopefully is coming from a genuine and authentic place as opposed to just trying to close the sale. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, in the sense that what if the most important thing wasn't mechanically measurable? And I think if you were to ask, if you were to ask a human being, not not a consultant, not a CEO, uh, but a human being, what's the most important thing? And, well, can you measure the most important thing in your life? They would say, well, not not mechanically. No, not really. I can't really quant. No, I can't quantify it. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. I know it. I I have more comfort when that thing is true. I have more comfort. I have more confidence. I have more belief. I'm happier. I'm more fulfilled. But can I measure how how far can I can I measure how far in drift I am? I, I know I'm further away than I should be, uh, further away than I want to be. Uh, but I don't know that I can measure that. And 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 maybe maybe not only is the fact that it's hard just just part of the natural criteria of it. Maybe it's one of those things that can't be measured, and I'm kind of coming to this realization on my own. Uh, I suspect that you're you're light years ahead of me, John. But maybe it can't be measured because it's not supposed to be measured. Ah, uh, that's brilliant. That I mean, that really is brilliant because that changes everything. You're trying to do something that was never meant yeah. uh, to be done, and that always creates quite a dilemma. Uh, I haven't thought about this in a while, but I um, there was a prospect. It's a large healthcare. Um, uh, health system, mm-hmm. and they were challenged on their patient scores, which are a one to five. They yeah. had brought in a, a major consulting firm to work with them, and they had gotten it to a four, but they were stuck. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, executives said, John, I think what you talk about is exactly uh, why we're stuck. And mm-hmm. so we we planned way ahead uh, because they wanted the CEO on the call. One of the great indicators was Although we had built the whole meeting around the CEO schedule, um, they canceled right before the call to be on the call. Now, I don't know what what the reason was, but you could feel it in the room that the Mm -hmm. CEO had not made it a priority. Um, And as which I think in some ways gave them even almost more um, permission to be the devil's advocate. And so I could feel the questioning begin to mount until one of them actually asked the question, uh, John, with what you do, how can you guarantee us that it's going to get us from a four to a five? Wow. And if I was frankly, uh, let's just be real clear. I was getting a little frustrated. Yeah. I can imagine. (laughs) Uh, And I, I just said, you know, the truth is everything in my soul will will say that if you will do this, it's going to make a huge difference. 
But what I will also say is that if this is the reason that you're doing it, um, it will not work because the truth is yeah. you really don't care about core values. All you care about is getting to a five and it will undermine the very essence of wow. what you're trying to do. Wow. I mean, and, and, and therein is the lesson. Um, we do get so, and, and it's the, you know, we can, we can talk about why this is the case, but it is the case. We do so often get caught up in the quantifiable measurement of those types of things. And to some extent, it makes sense why we get caught up in those things. But to your point, in terms of the work that you were doing in that example, the work that, that I think consultants do as a rule, regardless of what their area of expertise is in, why is, what is the core driver? What is the core motivator behind this action? If it is merely superficial, mm -hmm. then how meaningful can it really be? Um, and that is really, really important. Um, and, you know, I say, I make a statement like that and say, well, of course that's true. But yes, of course it's true. But how often is it truly thought about and intentionally applied um, is the question. And so just getting, getting me and I, I know everybody else to think in this way is tremendously beneficial. Um, John, I just looked down. I, I, I don't know where the time went. It, it, it drifted away. Um, <laughs> I could literally continue this conversation for, you know, the rest of the evening here. I, I want to be cognizant of time for you and, and our listeners and viewers. We, if you're open to it, we may have to have a part two at some point in the future. Um, this has absolutely been phenomenal. I simply can't thank you enough. I, I do want to end with a question that I'm really, ex I, I, I'm excited to ask this question every time, but especially to you, sir. And that is in terms of your career, uh, personally or professionally, what are, you know, what is a lesson or lessons learned that you might impart to those who are watching and listening today? Yeah. And I'll put this in context of the career. Probably the, the personal would be a list way too long that we got time <laughs> for <laughs> of what I learned by probably drifting. Um, what I would say is this, and I, I kind of alluded to it earlier about, I saw myself as a speaker, not a messenger. Mm -hmm. Um, I, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have waited till year six to begin to write. Mm. I would have started writing much sooner. And it's one of the things I've always said to people thinking about writing a book. One of the greatest things about writing, whether it's a blog or a book or whatever the case may be, you understand your thinking when you uh, force it down to paper. Mm. And I really found that my clarity only began when I started writing. And that's really where I went from general leadership to core values to mm. integrity is that I, I really forced myself to be much more clear in what I was trying to say. And it therefore then made my presentations more clear, my conversations more clear uh, in the work that I was doing. So that, and it, it, I wouldn't worry about, do I ever publish a book? Uh, it's more about the writing part, um, yeah. which is why blog can be so um, so good is that it forces you to commit to paper um, as I think one of the great things I learned along the way. Yeah, that's an excellent note and one that everybody here can apply. Um, I mean, the reality is if you are already writing, you probably are, are nodding your head in agreement with John. And if you're not, then this is a tremendous, um, a tremendous note. Uh, that's a great lesson. Thank you, John. I, I, 
I am certain uh, that besides me, other folks are going to want to stay in touch with you and learn more about your work. And you mentioned uh, the circle of integrity that you have that's publicly available to individuals. If someone wants to learn more about you, the circle of integrity, get a copy of a book, what's the best way for them to, to you know, enter into your world? Yeah, so probably the best way is just to go to my website, and um, you can reach that by uh, going to BlumbergROI.com. And on the circle, it's the same thing, BlumbergROI.com forward slash in the word circle. Okay. And that'll give you an overview. It gives you dates of the cohorts, um, you know, as well. And there is a public version anyone can join, and they're generally about four cohorts a year. And then there is a private one, like for a leadership team that can go through it privately, but all, uh, but all together. Sure. And then the books would be on the website as well. So Excellent. Uh, it's been great being with you, Scott. And uh, so enjoyed the conversation. I'd love a part two. Uh, you're, you're helping great. me think. So I love it. <laughs> well, uh, well that uh, I, I'm going to take you up on it. So you said it, we've got it recorded now, John. Uh, no, I, I, I sincerely appreciate your willingness to, to do a part two, but first and foremost, to be here today and uh, to invest the time uh, and share your knowledge and expertise with everybody. I know that for me, I've already got three pages of notes again, uh, and um, uh, a lot more to think about that is going to uh, continue to keep me anchored or bring me back to shore. So I, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate your work and what you do. Um, so please don't stop. All right. I appreciate that. So it's so good to be with you. Thank you. For Consulting with Authority, everyone, this is Scott Cantrell, as always, wishing you all the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.